Good morning, and today is September 25th, 2012, and you're listening to episode 10 of Ty's Daily Commute and Video Game Podcast. Well, last night was pretty good. I was able to uh, finish up that Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet that I've been working on. Uh, I was just waiting for the paint to dry on those uh, two little bolt holes that I filled in. And uh, so last night I put the side art on the cabinet um, on the right-hand side and put the monitor bracket back in and put the monitor back in the cabinet and uh, it's the same also I added on the front of the cabinet on the speaker panel I added the uh, coin speak the coin arrow decal I put a new one on there the one on there was in great shape as well great shape for being from 1982 or whatever year it was 82 um, and the the on the coin door I replaced the two 25 cent stickers and the whole thing just looks really great. Um, looks phenomenal. Um, really came together nicely. I mean, it, it was in good shape to begin with, but it was dirty, you know, and the monitor was all messed up and uh, control panel didn't look so great. And, you know, no side art really takes away from it. So, you know, having it all cleaned up and put back together again, and it looks, it just looks really great. I, I played some games last night and, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to say whether I like Donkey Kong Jr. better than Donkey Kong. Um, they're both interesting games, and um, you know the the music in Jr. is is better. Um, but Donkey Kong, there's something about that too. Um, yeah, so it's hard to really say about that. But I'm excited about getting a, don- a double Donkey Kong board to put in it, just so I have the high score and free play mode. Because that's kind of like why I don't play it a lot, is because the fact that you gotta, I gotta open the coin door and coin it up every time I wanna play it. And uh, and the nice thing too is like sometimes I get tired of a game and I wanna stop playing it. And like it's OCD, I don't wanna hear, I don't wanna hear my guy dying because I walked away from it. So, but I don't wanna turn all the games off. So with the double Donkey Kong, you hold down the two start buttons and then it goes into a mode where you can switch games. And that's, I do the same thing in my uh, Donkey Kong Cabaret is you switch between Donkey Kong and D2K on it, and so I, um, I, uh, I just do that when I'm like, oh, I'm done playing. <laughs> it's like weird. I just don't want. I don't want. I can't stand to hear. You know, I leave my character there and wait for him to die. It's just. I, I don't know. I just can't do it. I don't know if that's something you could do. Like I was playing Street Fighter the other day. I'm like, okay, I'm done playing Street Fighter. I'm gonna go do something else, and I can't leave my character. So, because I'll keep. I could keep playing that for a while, but it's like I'm done. And, uh, yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, and I don't feel that way when I'm playing my Star Trek The Next Generation pinball, though. I'm not like, oh, gee, I want to walk away from it now. But I still have holes left. I mean, you could just leave the ball in there, so it's not like you could, you know, you don't have to, you could not, you could walk away from your game. But, uh, the, the, the difference is that, <laughs> the game is so much fun. It's ridiculous. It's just, you know, I just love that game. It's just so awesome. Oh, so tired. We got up late working on it. So, and then I was uploading the podcast, yada yada. You know, so yeah. So I think I, I think I figured out why my recording stops. It's when I get a like a text message while I'm talking. Um, it like takes over the. The, or like interrupts the recording even though I have the notifications turned off in both the software my phone still does notifications so I actually put it in the silent mode um, 
start the recording. Let's see if that actually helps out. Um, yesterday it didn't it didn't happen, so it was that was good. Um, I didn't have to redo anything. But it did this morning. Uh, just now, starting the podcast, I had to start over again. Wow, man, that's some good yawns going on. I'll tell you, it's real chilly when I go in the morning now. It's like probably like in the 50s or the 40s, whatever the temperature is. I don't have a thermometer in this car. And the leaves are starting to change here in New York. Um, and uh, oh, it's, just, it's at that time of year where I'm driving into work. It's just starting up now where the sun is directly in my face when I drive to work. And the sun is directly in my face when I drive home from work. Um, and it'll get worse in a little while. And then what the worst part is, is that, like, I would say, like, between, like, December, end of November, actually, probably, till, um, like, oh, February, um, in the morning, you know, the sun will be directly, like, right now it's in my face, it's still a little bit higher, but, like, by the time, um, like, later in, in the winter, It'll be, the sun will be directly in my face at the, this point in the, on another highway that I'm getting on. Like right now I'm driving on a rural highway, if you can call it that. It's called uh, I-88 and it's, uh, um, you know, it's just this big highway that just goes through rural, rural areas. And uh, I'm almost to the point where it joins with uh, I-90, which is like the, the main highway through New York State. And uh, it's called New York State Thruway. And, uh, just as before you get in all of this exit called exit 24 and it's just a nightmare and uh what happens is between 25 and 24 the sun will be it's like the road goes directly at the sun and uh a whole bunch of people get on at 25 driving from schenectady to albany and uh every morning for the commute and they just get on and then they just all get in accidents and it's like every morning there's an accident so i have to leave like earlier than i would normally leave i'll have to leave like 15 20 minutes earlier then I would leave, um, you know, in the summertime, just in case there's an accident. Um, so it, that kind of sucks because it really shouldn't be like that. And actually, I had an idea because this one stretch is really the problem, and it's about I don't know five miles long. This this five mile stretch, and uh, the problem is, you know, the sun gets low in the in the sky. So and it causes like accidents every day. So. Well, I had a solution to, to, to deal with it. So just on this um, eastbound portion of the highway, um, construct essentially poles on either side of the road that are, that are far enough away that they're not like right next to the road. You don't want them, people colliding with them. You want them out, you know, they'd have to drive off quite a bit. So they, they don't have to be right next to the highway. They could be a ways away. And then you want to run, um, they need to be up high, like, you know, high enough so that there would be no vehicle to ever possibly hit this, um, hit this cable, but you want just two sets of cables going right across the highway, um, connecting to each pole, and there'd be poles every so many uh, feet or so, and between that cabling, there would be a, a screen that you would pull, so it would be a vertical screen, and that would allow light to go straight down, but if light is coming straight on, and you're driving, and this banner, it's like, just think of it as a big banner, is across the road ahead of you when you're driving it's going to block the sun in your face so if you have a whole bunch of a series of these um like you know up high they're like probably like 25 feet above the highway and they're probably maybe like 20 uh, 10 feet high or whatever height is the optimal height for them 
and they're just one after the other, you know, probably spaced apart maybe like a few hundred feet, um, it would block the sun from ever being in your eyes. And the only thing that you'd have to be careful with is the fact is there's like wind in the wintertime and stuff like that. Um, so the, the, the few things I thought to take care of that is like make the material out of like a mesh material because it doesn't need to block all the light. It just needs to block some of the light. So make it out of like a black mesh material and it also should not be out all the time. So it all retracts. It rolls back into this, um, into one like the right hand side pole. So what happens is in the in this time of the year where the sun is in your face, when you're driving, the, the poles automatically uh, deploy the, these uh, sun shields and will block the light if it's not, you know, if, it's, if there's the sun's out and it's not, if it's not cloudy. Now, if it's cloudy, it's raining, there's no point in them being out, so they'll just stay retracted. Um, but if it's that, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's bright, sunny skies out, you want these things out to block the light. If it's really windy and it's the weather doesn't make sense to have them out, I mean, even even though they're mesh, you probably don't, if it's like, you know, uh, 80 mile an hour winds, then obviously you wouldn't put them out. But, you know, most of the time you should be able to put these things, block the light and prevent accidents. I mean, it's only a five mile stretch that this happens in. Um, you know, it's it's not like you should do it every single place that there's the possibility of, of, of uh, sun glare because um, it's really the problem because it's such a high traffic volume area. I mean, it's three lanes of highway and cars are packed in there like 10 feet away from each other. And they're all going, you know, 75 miles an hour. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of, it's, it can be dangerous and people die, you know, most of the time it's not, it's not fatal accidents, but it's an accident like almost every day in the, when it's really, when the sun glare is really bad. So, uh, yeah, that's my idea. I got a lot of little ideas like that, but I, I can't see how it wouldn't work. Um, the problem is, is just spending the money for it. I mean, I don't think it would be outrageously expensive to have this. I mean, you're talking about some, I mean, the way we spend money in New York State, it's ridiculous. We waste money on so many other things. Um, you know, this would be inconsequential compared to the money that's spent on other things. And it would save money in terms of just, just the sheer volume of accidents from sun glare. I mean, granted, there's still going to be accidents because the accidents even happen in the summertime. But most of those accidents are not... Um, I mean, there's so few, so many fewer accidents in the summer. There's still accidents in that area because it's just a high traffic area. But um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I think it would definitely help out a lot. Um, I deal with sun glare my own way. I've got these. Um, I used to back in the day before I, I would wear uh, eyeglasses, and you know my 20s and stuff like that. I would wear. Um, I just wear like regular sunglasses. I buy some, you know fancy, fancy, smancy sunglasses that were non-prescription and, and nice and dark, and I'd wear those, and they would work pretty good. <clears throat> but they uh, they don't really help out. I mean, I can't really see as well as I used to. Um, you know, I've got astigmatism, so that just kind of, as you get older, it just gets worse. Um, I would say my vision's still decent. I have a pretty good vision. I can still see pretty well without my glasses, but um, I, I definitely... Um, would be better off wearing them so um yeah i can like take an eye chart exam and get a 2020 if i squint um but the thing is is that uh i used to get like i'd get like prescription sunglasses and they're okay um the problem is they're just not dark enough even if you get the darkest ones you can get 
and then you got to buy extra glass sunglasses and you know so they end up being like a year be, you know, like a year behind on your prescription or like the ones I've got now they're like four years if not oh geez they're so old um, you know and so they're they're weaker the, the correction on them so um, you know which is only like effects of looking at a traffic sign like a hundred yards away so but still it's like eh, I don't want to wear those because I can see so much better with my regular glasses and I wasn't so I had started not wearing my sunglasses and uh, but I actually picked up at Walmart these these really ridiculous glasses that you wear over top of your sunglasses your regular glasses and uh, they're nice and dark they're like 24 bucks so I mean they look ridiculous they look gigantic old man glasses um, but I don't really care I'm at that point where I'm I'm almost 40 years old, so it's not like it matters uh, if uh, I'm wearing some ridiculous sunglasses. Nobody else cares. You know, I'm just some crazy old guy, so. <laughs> but they block the sun pretty good. I mean, still, they could be, I wish I could get sunglasses twice as dark as as what the darkest you could buy because, man, that sun is so so intense. Um, you know, like maybe a set of welding goggles, but they're too dark then you can't see anything you only see you'd only see the sun you see the circle of the sun and I'd be like hey I can look directly at the sun through these welding glasses but that'd be it <laughs> so um yeah uh I just wish that they would they would make just a dark like twice as dark sunglasses oh I can't I'm just yawning oh. you know if anybody wants me to talk about a particular subject you know feel free to tweet or email me that um, information, um, that your question. Um, again, my Twitter is uh, Ty K Lori. That's T I G H E K L O R Y. And, uh, and my uh, email is the same Ty K Lori. Actually, no, that's not the one I want you to use. Use Ty at TyLori.com to uh, email me your questions. Um, let's see what else I'm going to say. Well, you know, so I got that junior done, and I'm going to put that back in the lineup of games. Although I'm the only thing I'm really ugh, bothered by is the fact it doesn't have casters on the bottom. And so I'm like, do I put casters on this now? Um, you know, I definitely want to add them, but it's it's just a hassle because they don't they're not made to have a caster on them. And so I've got to make little brackets to, to mount on the inside of the base to add these casters and, and it's got the base on the Nintendo cap, it's got these little wedged uh, corners in them. So it's not like I can just add them in easily. It's gonna be uh, gonna be a little bit of a pain. I gotta. What I was thinking, I was making like almost like a frame that's kind of uh, fits inside, like it just you almost like a, a dolly that just tucks into the into the, the bottom base of a Nintendo cabinet. So I don't even have to like permanently affix it to it. I just kind of just push it in, and uh, it then it holds the casters, and I can just flip the cabinet up and and uh, have casters on it. And if I ever want them off, I just flip it back, pull the caster, the little uh, dolly that's built, that I make for it perfectly out, and then back to the way it was. Um, here we go, we're actually entering that bad traffic section. So now, the, yeah, the sun is a little to the north, uh, not the north, to the left, I can't say north, it's to the left of the highway right now, it's not um, driving directly into the sun right yet. Um, so it's not that bad, but we're going to make it turn a little bit. So it could be worse further up, but 
Man, this traffic, it's always so tight. There's so many cars. And the off, the, uh, the exit ramp, when you come up to exit 24, like, you know, if you're on the highway, most of the exits are on the uh, right-hand side. I mean, how many exits do you see on the left? Yeah, well, this one's on the left. So not only is it a dangerous portion of the highway, but the exit's on the left. And the funny thing is, is that if I remember, when I first started driving, now we're talking like, let's see, was it 1991? 91? Yeah, I think it was like 1991. Could have been 1990. I can't remember whatever year it was. But back then, they just, just before, just after that point when I was driving, I'd actually driven to Albany a few times, um, you know, by myself. And prior to that, there was, you know, obviously I would ride with my parents and things like that. And the exit was completely different. They had, I think the off-ramp, the, the exit ramp was actually on the right-hand side. Whoa, that's pretty cool. There's some government, like, GMC Suburban painted in, you know, dark blue. It's got this white pod on the top. And then some other kind of weird um, dish thing. I don't, it's like, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's got all these kind of antenna rays on it. It's got a U.S. government plate on it. Um, I wonder if it has anything. No, it doesn't. It's always, it's always cracks me up. I mean... You know, if it were in, here in New York State and they had some vehicle that had um, this kind of stuff on it. Oh, it's got a satellite communication, a track star on it. If, if, it, were, if it were a New York State vehicle, it'd actually say what division of the, the state it is and, and all that kind of stuff on the, on the vehicle. But here in New York, it, I mean, here, uh, the federal government, they don't tell you what the hell their vehicles are. It's all clandestine. No matter who it is, it could be the National uh, Oceanic and Air, uh, Aeronautical, or whatever it is, administration. Oceanic and, I guess, Atmospheric Administration. You know, it, it, it's just ridiculous. I mean, you drive around this vehicle. It's got a, it's got a push bar on the front, or a brush guard, or whatever they call it. It's, it's pretty badass. It's got the extra large mirrors. You know, and the guys have, they're not wearing uniforms. They're wearing, but they're wearing a like, you know, their khaki uniforms which are not uniforms just like uh, the federal government's buying all these hollow point bullets millions of them more than it was even used in the Iraq war you wonder what the hell they're gonna do with these things you know I mean the police don't even use them and you can't even you can't use a hollow point bullet in uh, war to, against the whatever I think it's actually was a uh, United Nations uh, conventional thing. It wasn't the Geneva Convention, but whatever. It's something like that. You can't use hot point bullets. Um, you gotta use a full metal jacket. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so I'm in this traffic. So now I'm in, you know, the exit's on the left-hand side. Everybody's driving slowly, which is good. I'd rather people drive slowly than, uh, you know, get in accidents. And, uh, they actually changed the highway here. And all they did is they just changed the painted lines. The, the exit ramp, the exit side, the, the left lane of the highway, they ch added these double-thick dashed lines that are closer together. And it used to be when I'd be driving along, I, I, even I would do this, I'd wait till the last second and cut over because so many people driving slowly. Well, they've, since they've added these lines, it's like a tractor beam. It just like pulls you in. You can't, not like you can't resist it, but you just, um, you feel compelled to get into the uh, left, left exit lane first as soon as possible. Um, 
I'm not sure why that is. I mean, I guess it's like kind of feels like there's like a bit more of a barrier between you and getting off, and the traffic's going to be all weird. And, but it, it seems to have reduced the number of accidents quite a bit. I mean, it's just literally a thick, doubly thick, closer together dashed line. It's just ridiculous. This, if, why would that make a difference? But it's totally psychological. There's a few people that still ignore it, but it seems to make a lot of uh, makes a big difference. And so um, that's that's good. Um, what was I talking about? Because now I got distracted by the by the, the federal vehicle there. Oh, let's see. Um, oh, Nintendo cabs. I was done with that. Um, yeah. So the next things I'm gonna work on. Um, let's see. I've got the I've got the baby Pac-Man. I've got the Quicksilver. Those are things that need to be fixed. You know, I could finish up the. Uh, the Galaga 88. I definitely, and there's the, the, the Donkey Kong Jr. Cabaret. I want to get that artwork on it. Um, the, the, I should really get the, the Galaga 88 painted at least before uh, it gets too cold outside. Um, you know, just get a, get a coat of paint on that so it doesn't look like hell. You know, I'm not obviously not going to get to. I probably won't get to doing any of the uh, artwork on it this uh, winter. Um, depends. You know, if I, I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell off. Uh, I'm making a few more Virtual Boy cabinets. I'm going to sell those, and you know, if I make some money off of those, I can use those to uh, finish the Galaga 88, and I got to finish the Donkey Kong 94 cabinet. You know, and obviously I got to make more Virtual Boys because people want them. Um, oh, and then today I'm actually uh, I'm going to uh, see where am I going to get off the highway? Oh, I definitely want to go on the north way is what I want to do. Okay. Alright, I'm good now. Alright, so yeah, today I'm actually going to my podiatrist to pick up my x-rays for my broken foot that I, we're taking back this winter, late winter. And uh, take those, I'm going to actually, I'm getting those because I'm going to an orthopedist on Thursday. See if I can get figure, at least find out what's going on with my foot, why it hurts so much. I mean, it's just, it, it literally is like a, I don't know if to say a handicap, but I, you know, I feel like I'm a 90-year-old man. I'm, at least my foot feels like an old man's foot. It's just ridiculous. It's like, um, it's, it's, it's at that point where it's like, man, I think I would be better off if you were chopped off. I mean, not that I want to chop my foot off. I don't want to chop my foot off. But at least it wouldn't be, it actually slows me down. I walk slower, you know, and, and um, just from the pain. And, and I don't do things because I'm like, ah, my foot's killing me. You know, the, the, just the contrast between my left foot and my right foot. My left foot, which is good, my right foot, which is bad, you know. And, and again, I do want to, I don't want to chop my foot off. I definitely don't want to chop my foot off. But I'm just saying is that the point is, is that, um, is that if it's just that this foot is just in so much pain, that actually prevents me from doing things that I should be doing. Um, you know, and it's not always that painful. Like, you know, uh, there's times where it doesn't hurt a lot. But like right now, I'm driving this car and my right foot is, you know, scale one to 10, it hurts about a four. And I'm not doing anything. I'm just pressing on the accelerator. Um, and I'm, I'm just kind of used to that pain. Uh, I can't imagine if it were my back. I mean, I, I, have, friends that, I have a friend that has a bad back, and um, I, I, 
you know, I just have the deepest sympathy for him because it's, you know, a, a, a friend of mine's father had it, had a really bad back, and I think he probably still does. I just I haven't seen him in a long time, and uh, there'd be days he just, you know, can't even move out of bed because he's just in such pain, and uh, that's got to be just, you know, what do you do about that? I mean, at least with me, I can just stay off my foot. You know, I don't have to, you know, there's, you know, and then it doesn't hurt. I mean. I mean, it's, I suppose, I mean, it's still a little bit of achiness, but nothing, nothing that one would complain about. Um, but the point being is that I'm not complaining about the pain. And what I'm, what I'm complaining about is the fact that uh, I'm not able, I'm not able to bring myself to do things because of the, because of the pain that I would normally do. Um, yeah, uh, let's see. So I'm almost to my podiatrist's office. And, uh left early this morning so I could uh, get in there and grab those uh, I just you know it's not one of those the thing is that no as, as bad as my foot is I, I don't want to have surgery on my foot so I'm going to an orthopedic surgeon and I'm like you know I'm gonna say like well I don't want to have surgery <laughs> so it's like well, what he's gonna say well, what am I gonna do for you you know yeah I don't know um, yeah I'm just hoping that there's something that can be done there's some, something to just make it so it doesn't hurt as much you know, or, or at least tell me what's going on and why it's not getting better, you know. Because, um, you know, it's just, it should, it, I mean, it should be better by now. I mean, it's been, I mean, I've been in this pain for over a year, and uh, it actually feels worse. And, uh, you know, I've had a cast on for a while, too, so it's just bizarre. Okay, so I'm at my doctor's office. Okay, going to stop here. Okay, so I uh, just picked up my x-rays. Like, I never finished up the um, talking about star control. And uh, I don't know if I have enough time to talk about it now between here and work, but I can give it a try. So I talked about the Alliance of Free Stars in, uh, in uh, star control. That's with the, the good guys that you can play as. You can play as a hierarchy um, in, like, melee mode. And... Uh, when you're playing, so when you're playing as them, you've got several several ships. You've got the uh, you've got the uh, Urquan dreadnought vessel and the uh, aliens that dry, fly those. They're like the the badasses in the game, and uh, I mean their their vessel is like imagine like an evil version of the Starship Enterprise, but um, it's got some really cool weapons on it. The primary weapon is like a fusion cannon, and uh, it makes that. That sound sounds just like a photon torpedo from Star Trek. That kind of sound. I can't even make it, but it's like the, it's that exact sound. <laughs> so there's something rewarding about shooting that weapon because it just makes that great sound. And uh, the the secondary weapon are these little um, these little mini fighters that fly out, and they essentially they're like they're like two or three pixels in size. They're very tiny, very very tiny little red dots that fly out from the Urquan Dreadnought out of the back, uh, each of the like little warp nacelles that they have. And uh, every time you press the secondary weapon button, you launch two of them. And the, your character says, launch fighters. And uh, so you, you launch out two fighters and um, they track in on your enemy. And, and it's once they get within range, they start firing lasers on them. Just, you know, taking one crew member with each fire. And uh, you can literally, with Urquan Dreadnought, you can launch, like, you know, 20 fighters. 
and they don't move really fast, but they move at a good, pretty good rate, and they will surround your enemy ship and just start firing and just and you can die really quickly. We never even firing the primary weapon, the fusion cannon. But like for example, you might fire fire off a bunch of fighters and it gets your your it gets the guy running away from you, and then you start you know warping around you know, like going around really fast with the Urquan. And when you cross paths, you just within range, you just start firing the fusion cannon. Now the fusion cannon has a, a limited range. It's still pretty long, and it's a straight shot, um, and it's a nice wide shot, and it will go through um, pretty much any weapon. There's nothing that can block the Urquan's uh, fusion cannon. I think except for maybe the Chinjesu's shot. I think they they both self -anni they annihilate each other when they collide. Um, um, but the uh, like I said, the, the Chinjesu's shot, which probably does more damage than the the, the, the uh, fusion cannon, pretty darn close. They're pretty close in, in damage. Um, but the like, the, for example, the, the Chinjesu's ship will fire, and it will continuously just the shot will just keep going until it collides or something if you hold the button down. Whereas the Irquans will dissipate after um, a long range, but. It's still like a, I would say it's a medium range weapon. Um, so, but it's a very devastating ship, and obviously that's I mean, you know that's why you've got other ones that aren't as as powerful. But it's really fun to play as that ship. It's really cool, especially the the voices in it, and uh, and the, they're just pure evil. Like <laughs> like the, the and each ship you see what the captain's name is, and so like on the um like the the captain's name is like. Or maybe it's the captain's name, and then you have like the ship's name, like it's something, or it's like Lord Six 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 is one of them. <laughs> like you know, the, the basic premise is that they're very evil, and uh, they're 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 caterpillars. They're gigantic caterpillars, is what they look like, um, kind of like uh, Mothra or something. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the Urquans. Then there's the um, the Ilrath, and the Ilrath are essentially their ship is a Klingon, uh, Klingon bird of prey. Um, in one way, in the fact that it can cloak, and it's really cool. I mean, so you have this. Your secondary weapon is a cloak, and you'll it makes this great sound when you cloak, and the ship you know will distort the stars when when it first cloaks, and then when you fly over a star, the the star will flicker out for a second. So it's not it, you know essentially it makes your ship black or something. Um, so it's not like it's completely indetectable, but. It's pretty darn indetectable, especially when you're on the zoomed out mode. And uh, so the only way that the your, whoever you're fighting knows you're even close to him is that the camera does zoom in when you get closer range. And so you can kind of approximate where the Ilrath is based on the camera positioning, that you know which direction they're kind of coming from. So like if you're playing as like a Chenjesu, all you gotta do is just like, you know, fire and explode your shots. You're gonna be hitting them. And then you'll see where your shots are making impact on their ship. And then you can re-aim and like hit them with direct shots. So it doesn't, um, it, you know, it, it obviously doesn't prevent you from not hitting them. I mean, it's just that it's it's useful that way. Now, if you're playing as them and you're you're cloaked, you can't see where you are either. So you're playing you know blind as well, um, but you're in control. So you kind of know somewhat to to some extent what you're doing. And as soon as you fire your primary weapon, you decloak. And uh, your primary weapon is just like a big flamethrower out the front of the ship. And it does a heck of a lot of damage. And it's pretty cool. Um, but the range is pretty short. It's like a length and a half of your vessel out in front of you. 
and it has a spread on it, but not much. Um, it, you know, it's so it's, but it's it does a lot of damage. It just you know pretty much hits you pretty good. Actually, I forgot about an Alliance ship. It's called the Siren. I'm going to step back to the Alliance. The Siren ship looks like a, a space dildo. Really, it does. <laughs> Ribbed dildo. Uh, and uh, it's basically, it's like a rocket ship with like the, the old-fashioned style, like, you know, 1930s idea of what a rocket ship would look like. And uh, it's crewed by, it doesn't even have a full crew complement. It's got a very large crew quarters in it. Um, and its primary weapon is just a single shot, very much like the Shofixti. You know, it just does one hit of damage when it hits. But its secondary weapon can be very devastating. It's got this siren's call. And when you get close to the, your enemy and you press the, the secondary weapon, you hear like a, ah, like a lady's voice, kind of do this like siren's call. And the crew of, their, of the, the ship that you're fighting will all um, go out the airlocks and you'll see these little dots floating in space. And if you're the siren, you just kind of get close to them and they'll, they'll, they'll kind of fly towards your ship and, and get into your ship and they become your crew members. So you can steal their crew. So if you're like going up against, let's say like an Urquan Dreadnought and you, you know, get close to them, you know, without getting killed. <laughs> but if you, let's say you're able to get close to them and you use the siren's call, you can literally fill your crew complement. And let's say they do some damage to you and you get close to them again, you steal more crew from them. And you can literally steal every crew member from them except for the last one crew member. So while its primary weapon is sucky, its secondary weapon is pretty pretty good. It takes a ton of crew when it's out. And uh, so you can either, then there's strategies to it too. So like if they're near a planet and you use the siren's call, um, the crew will jump out of the ship and they'll get pulled into the gravity well and they'll all perish. Or if an asteroid flies through them, they'll, they'll die. Um, or you can even shoot them, although it's really hard when you're siren to shoot them. But like if you're going up against, let's say, an Illrath, and the Illrath, and you do the siren's call, and they all get out, like some of your crew get out, you can flame, you can either pick them back up again, or you can like you know use your flamethrower and kill them so that they don't they don't get taken by the the siren. So it's it's pretty cool. There's like a lot of strategy to that. Um, the Umga, and they these guys are pretty cool. They they have a ship that essentially just fires a an energy cone. It's an antimatter energy cone, which does tons of damage. That for every second, it just like I mean, you, if you get an enemy ship in there, you can kill them off pretty quickly. But it is literally, uh, again, like uh, one and a half times the length of your ship, which is small in the first place. And uh, and it's pretty wide though. It's a wide cone. Um, and uh, so you can use the, you, that's your primary weapon on that. Your secondary weapon is to just have a like it's kind of like a I would call it, it's like a lobster ship although it doesn't look anything like a lobster um, but you press the secondary weapon and your ship will um, ignore all uh, kinetic or what do you want to say the motion that's on it right now uh, acceleration it has and go in reverse at super high speed and then when you let go you 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 can't you have no momentum you just stop wherever you were and so so let's say you're going at the enemy and then you're kind of trying to whittle your way into them and get close to them and damage them and then they start to get around and maybe they're going to get a shot in on you or a shot's coming at you. You just hit that secondary weapon and you'll be like so far away they can't even hit you within like a second. Um, again, it uses, your, it uses up your energy power pretty fast. So uh, um, you can, you'll run out of it quickly. But it's a quick way to get away. Um, so I can... Oops. Sorry. Sorry.
Um, so it, it's a pretty cool weapon. I'm going to talk some more about that. I'm actually at work now. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk about it in the afternoon segment. And I'm back with the afternoon portion of the podcast. Well, pretty tired today. You know, after staying up pretty late both nights working at Donkey Kong Jr., uh, I'm ready to go to bed. Well, I'll talk a little bit more about uh, some uh, Star Control because I can. I want to get into Star Control too. Um, so we talked about the Umga, the Ilraf, and the Urquan uh, vessels. Um, some of the other vessels are there's the Shuf, uh, the um, the um, Spathy, and the Spathy are like these uh, you know aliens with eye, uh, stalk eyeball, eyeball eyeballs on stalks. And um, their vessel kind of resembles that. They're, they're very cowardly. And uh, it's, there are separate compartments. It looks almost like a molecule flying, flying through space. And uh, it's very agile, turns quickly and fast. Um, its primary weapon is just like a, um, very similar to the Shofixti um, cannon, except for it shoots like three shots, simul- uh, rapid fire. Um, and then it fires three and fires three, kind of like uh, there's like a reload or something like that. And uh, its secondary weapon is called a butt missile. <laughs> and the way it works is it's a homing missile that's fired from the aft section of the ship. Um, since the ship can turn so quickly, you can fly directly at your enemy and rot- you know, spin around face backwards and fire a few butt missiles and then fly away. Um, so it's a good you know, ship for picking off somebody um, avoiding, uh, you know, a, a vessel that has like a homing, uh, you know, like the Urquan have homing, but that some, um, like the doggies from, uh, the, uh, the, um, and stuff like that. So, it, or the Earthling, they're, they're a pretty good match for the Chinjesu and the Earthling, even though the, even though the Chinjesu, um, um, have, are very powerful. A couple hits can take out the Spathy. The Spathy have a pretty high crew complement. And with its agility, you can kind of go around and pick off the the, uh, the Chijesu if you're a good pilot of it. Um, so, yeah, so that the the Spathy are kind of like, a, they're still not the best. I mean, I don't really like playing as a Spathy, um, but it's kind of fun depending on who you're playing against. Um, yeah, so you have the Spathy. And then you have the Androsynth. And the Androsynth are um, genetically engineered humans who um, left Earth and uh, kind, of, kind of like Wrath of Khan kind of thing going on there. Um, and their vessel is a unique vessel. It um, kind of, it's it, hard to describe it, what it looks like. It isn't really a, a good way to describe it, but essentially when you're looking at it, it kind of looks like some kind of, uh, almost like a coffee mug or something. And, uh, and it flies around and it, its uh, primary weapon fires bubbles. And these are like tracking bubbles, and they kind of fly erratically homing. They're kind of like a randomly erratic homing bubble, and uh, and that sounds like a really bad weapon, but it actually is not bad at all. Um, so the ship releases them really fast when you fire them, and it essentially makes a cloud around your vessel that you can kind of hide in. And if the enemy comes after you, well, first thing it fires a missile at you or something, it can be your your bubbles will protect you to some extent. Um, and if you're near an enemy, they, they will track towards the enemy and damage them. Um, it's not the best weapon either, though. It's because it doesn't do a heck of a lot of damage. 
And uh, the secondary weapon is a, um, it's like a comet mode, and the ship kind of like compresses into a ball and flies at high speed um, and without any kind of control of the speed, and its turning radius is pretty good. And you ram the other ship. It doesn't do any damage to you to ram them. Um, so you could just get right up against their hull and just bam, 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 and do a lot of damage to them. Um, but it uses your energy up pretty quickly. And if you don't get away um, quick, quick enough, uh, the, you'll, be, you'll convert back to the other mode and have no energy to defend yourself. And, and you can't get away. It's, not, it's the Anderson standard regular mode is not the fastest ship. So um, it's a, you, know, you want to kind of do a hit and run. You want to go in, hit them a few times, and then get away before your energy runs out. And you can't come out of that mode once you activate it. So once you activate the comet, blazing comet mode, whatever it's called, um, you're stuck in it until your energy is expired. So uh, you got to be careful when using that, but it can be very devastating too. Now, that said, there are, it will take damage if it's fired directly upon, like uh, for, you know, if a, if a, um, a Shinjesu crystal thing hits it, it does a heck of a lot of damage. And, and I forget, not every single weapon does do damage to it, but most, uh, I think a good portion of them do. Alright, so we did the... Okay, then we have the Mycon. And the Mycon are um, fungal, a fungal life form. And uh, kind of like a toadstool or whatever, a mushroom. And uh, their ship is a gigantic uh, sphere with a big port in it. And it looks like it's like a big, almost like a spore. Um, big flying spore. And... Uh, <sighs> It's not fast at all. It's very slow and has a slow turning radius. But its primary weapon is a expanding energy cloud. Something out of Star Trek, essentially. It's like uh, the one where they first encounter the Romulans, I think. And it fires this, uh, like a plasma cloud that expands. Um, well, that's essentially what this um, Micon vessel does. If you, it homes as well. Now, if you fire that off at close range and it hits your enemy, it does an enormous amount of damage. Um, but the further it goes, the larger it gets, the less damage it does. Um, and if you're fighting the Micon, you can fire upon that cloud and, and kind of like damage it, you know, disperse it more. Every shot disperses it, and finally enough shots it'll you know, completely dissipate. So, uh, so the Micon may be, you know, you're getting close to them, you're shooting them, they fire off two of those big... Uh, cloud things and they start chasing after you if you're like a Shofixti you can actually fly away they'll chase after you you could spin around with your momentum and fire on it and take those out pretty quickly and come back in and get a few more shots in and the thing about the Micon is is that they, their energy recharges very slowly so um, it, they might if you're not careful if you're playing the Micon you might fire off all your energy and really quickly and then the Shofixi can come in and, and just do a lot of damage shooting you, or if they want, they can self-destruct and destroy you, and you wouldn't have really a chance to get away at all. Um, they literally could pull right up against your hull and self-detonate. It's not like you're fighting against like the Urquan or something like that. Um, its secondary weapon is pretty cool. Um, when your energy gets completely full, you can press the secondary weapon button, and you will regenerate like a, uh, like a fifth or a sixth of your crew. And so, um, if you're, you've taken damage, 
and you let your energy regenerate and you fly away from them. Let's say you get away from your whoever you're fighting or you're you know you're out you're outmatched whoever you're fighting and you don't want to take them out right away. You want to kind of rebuild your crew from like a previous battle. You might um, keep them at bay, let your energy recharge, and then um, fire your um, fire your secondary weapon and completely refill your crew complement before the next battle. Um, so it's a pretty good it's pretty good in that way. But again, the ship is very slow, and you, you're liable to be just picked off pretty easily by almost anybody unless you play it well. But you can some people can play the Micon very well. So it all comes down to the player. Let's see. So you got that. You got the. I'm just trying to think if there's any other vessels. I don't think there is any other ones. I mean, I, I can't think of them all right now. Now, um, yeah. So Star Control is a great game. I was on the Genesis. Played a lot with my friends. Um, the melee mode is really fun to play. That's the that's the two-player mode. Um, but then, on the 3DO and on the PC, came Star Control 2, and that just was just, just the most awesome sequel to the game ever, because it has all the ships from the original game, plus a, a ton more ships, which are very unique and fun, um, uh, and they all have their unique uh, abilities, and it's a very, uh, Star Control is a very kind of like a rock, paper, scissors kind of game. Um, where one ship out, you know, is just way better. Like you could have a, a ship that's really weak, weak seeming, um, but against and, and but against like the strongest boss, um, like one of the, the ships with like a lot of crew and stuff like that. That little weak ship can actually take out the big boss. It's just it's a matter of you know the proper selection of your vessels to take on your whoever your adversary is. Um, so in Star Control 2 added a whole bunch more. Like the audio is excellent. Uh, on the 3DO, um, rather than just going in a zoom level with each, um, you know, as you get closer, it would dynamically zoom in, um, which is really nice. Um, it looked great when you did that. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite games, really. It, it's fun to play, just like a party game. It's like Bomberman. I mean, the only thing about Star Control 2 is it's, it's, it's a two-player game. It's not a four-player game or six-player game, so you're going to be playing it two-player, but still, it's a lot of fun. Um, and you know the 3DO version is awesome. Now, obviously, owning a 3DO and owning Star Control 2 is not an easy thing to do. And the PC version is even harder to play because it is—it was designed for DOS, and there, you know, it's going to be a pain to get that thing up and running on a, on a modern computer. Um, but there is the um, Fred Ford and Paul Race the Third are the guys who, who actually designed and, and programmed Star Control 2. Um, they were able to purchase the right, the code back to their game um, because it had been licensed to, who was it? Um, Accolade made it for home consoles, but I can't remember the company that actually owned the game. Um, was it Borderbound? Or, I, don't, I don't remember what the company was, but they actually purchased the the, the code back, or they own the code. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but they just didn't own the name Star Control. So um, what they did is they actually made the code open source, and um, it's been ported to Linux and modern Windows and Android devices, and it's called uh, the Ur it's called Urquan Masters, and that game is 
it's just great because not only did they take the the code that they programmed for the PC, but they also carried over all the audio, the enhanced audio from the 3DO version. So you really get the, you get the best of both worlds. It's like a great game, um, and you I'll be darned. At some point, I'm going to make an arcade cabinet specifically for playing two-player melee mode of Star Control 2. And I want to get into the code, and I want to make it so it is like an arcade game. So it goes right into melee mode, and you almost, you, I, can, I want to make it so I can even coin it up. Um, and maybe make it a little bit more arcade-like. Um, you know, as a programmer, I, I should be able to do that. It's just a matter of, you know, i got to digest. There's probably a ton of code in that game, so um, actually doing it is... <laughs> is another story to just take the time to even read the code is going to be a hard thing to do um just it's just a matter of time um but again it's a great 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 game i love that game and uh back in the day when star control was you know still on the pc and on the 3do i bought the i didn't have a 3do back then um my friend did and we loved playing it but uh what i ended up doing is buying um the PC version of Star Control 2 and uh, played that a lot and then Star Control 3 came out and that game did not use Fred Ford or Paul Reich to develop it at all from what I understand and it's uh, it uses 3D models in the game and uh, it, they tried to kind of like make it rather than straight on above view it's kind of like a almost a three-quarter view and I don't know, the game kind of really just isn't the same. They, they kind of messed it up and they added new enemies in it. And the enemies are, uh, are um, they don't kind of fit in. And not only that, the, the characters, while they still have the Spathy, they still have the Urquan, the, um, the way they kind of drew them or, you know, the way they look, they just don't look uh, kind of like just in the style of the way the game was. I mean, they use 3D. Uh, they, do they even use 3D models? No, the characters. They, the characters are just drawn so well that you almost thought that they were like a 3D render that was then, you know, turned into raster graphics. But it wasn't. It was all just done by hand, and it looked it looked awesome. Like when you would, like you're playing the the one-player mode where you're kind of doing an adventure. It's it's awesome because you you when you encounter an, an uh, enemy. Or just like you hail an, uh, not an enemy, but just a ship, and you start talking to them. Um, now in 3DO version, it's actually got dialogue, which is awesome. So you hear them talking, and the, act, the voice acting is great. Um, on the PC version, it just has the dialogue written on screen, but it's still it's still a great game, even with just the the dialogue written out. Um, and uh, it just it just looks great. I mean, it just it takes Star Control One and just goes so much better. And Star Control 3 is just not even close to being as good as Star Control 2. So um, they, they killed it. They literally killed the game. Um, I would love if someday that Fred Ford and Paul Raich would get together. Um, I think they're both work, they, well, at least one of them works for Toys for Bob. I mean, it's, their com it's their company, I believe. Um, and I wish they would just make another Star Control. Like, just, I don't, I don't know if they can. I mean, Star Control 2 is, like, just perfect anyway. So it's like, why even bother making another one? It's a great game. So, is it even necessary to build another, make another game? I don't know. I mean, they released a source code. If somebody wanted, they could just port, they could just add new ships to it, make new, you know, make new ships and enemies and stuff. So, it's not like, uh, it's not like the game, 
couldn't have a sequel to it. Anybody could make one. Uh, and I would love to see it on a new console. I'd love to see it like on... I mean, I, I always wish that it would come out on the Dreamcast back in the day. Um, like a new version of it. I got to play Armada um, on the Dreamcast. And it kind of makes you think of Star Control 2, the way the, the perspective is. But it's a different kind of game. You're just kind of fighting an endless horde of enemies um, that never stop. And it's kind of like a, a fatalist kind of game because I don't think... I mean, I, I beat the game, but um, even then I don't think you actually you know make everything better. Um, i got to remember how... what It hasn't been so long since i played it that I, I can't remember what happens, but... And, and that, and like your, you know, it's pretty basic. Your ship fires your, your cannons and, you know, your enemies are just kind of like swarming towards you. It's kind of more like uh, a Sinistar than it's like uh, Star Control. Star Control is more like, uh, you know, uh, Space Duel or, you know, Computer Space. And, uh, you know, as I said, Armada is more like Sinistar, which is you're one ship against a horde. Now, you're not necessarily one ship because you can play two-player. Two um I don't know if you could play three or four players, but my wife and I used to play Armada together. That was kind of fun to play because you could, you know, stick together and help each other out. Um, and because it was just an, an unending horde of enemies, and you just kind of had to make your way through it, um, not necessarily defeating everything. Oh, and you would gather energy or something. I can't remember what it was, but it was very much like Sinistar. Um, yeah, so uh, it was a good. That was a good game, though. I still enjoyed it. Um, but when it comes down to it, Star Control Two, Star Control Two, Star Control Two. Download Urquan Masters on your computer. Give it a try because you're gonna be like, wow, this is great. Um, you know, on Android, you're really gonna want some kind of uh, gamepad to play it because if you're playing it on the screen, touch screen, it just it's not the same. You don't have the. It, it's such a. Um, twitchy kind of game you gotta it's like you know you gotta have really accurate controls to avoid enemy shots and stuff like that and playing it playing it on a touch screen uh isn't gonna do it something else that occurred to me too recently um you know this i, I don't know if i had talked about this before but i'm pretty sure i did um portable console games to me are almost dead now um, and I'll, I'll give you an idea why, why I think this. Um, you know, back back in the day, you had, you know, Nintendo with its Game Boy. You had this, the Game Gear. You had all these, you know, Lynx, Turbo, Turbo Express, um, Neo Geo Pocket Color, Wonder Swan, Game Boy Color, you know, Game Boy Advance. Um, you know, all the, the, then the DS and the PSP. Now, the PSP really didn't take off in the United States, but it did pretty well in, in Japan. But the thing is, is that with the advent of the iPhone, the iPad, and even some Android devices as well, but it seems that, that these devices have really killed um, portable game systems. And, and the reason is not, and I, and I have this conversation with people, and they say, well, oh, you, it never kills it because playing a portable console system it's got controls, and, and playing it on a on a on a phone, it sucks. It's not fun. And I would say, yeah, it isn't. It doesn't. It's not even close to as fun as playing some uh, handheld game. But you know what it is? It's not really even the game so much, because 
on when you have an iPhone or an iPad or something like that, you don't just have to play a game. You can do lots of things. You can watch movies. You can send emails. You can do Facebook, Twitter, um, play games. Um, all these kinds of things that you can't do, at least on the older game systems. And while that's not really what people wanted out of a, whole, a handheld game system, it comes down to it. They've got this phone in their pocket, and they're heading out the door to go someplace. They don't think to themselves, man, if I'm just going to be sitting around for a while, what am I going to do? You know, it's like, you know, back then, people were like, okay, I'll bring a book with me. I'll bring a magazine with me. I'll bring my Game Boy with me. Um, these are the kind of things that they would think when they're going somewhere. But now, you've got your um, iPhone or your iPad, and you're like, well, I don't need to bring a book. I can read an electronic book. Or I can watch a movie. I don't need to bring a walk, uh, watchman. Um, I can, uh, you know, uh, play games on it. If I want to play a game, I can browse the web. I can watch, you know, do whatever it is that I'm doing um, that I could, that you couldn't do. You know, it wasn't that you couldn't do them before. It's just that you're, you don't feel that need. Like, hey, what am I? I'm going to be sitting around bored, waiting in the airport, or waiting at the bus stop, or you know waiting at the doctor's office, whatever it may be that you're going to be doing, sitting around, you've got that phone in your pocket, and that phone can be immediate, immediately entertain yourself. So those moments of boredom, where for some reason people can't stand to sit around, you know, just with their thoughts for a while. I know sometimes I feel that way, um, you know, but I can just sit by myself. But the thing is, is that, that it's like, it doesn't, you know, I remember, I remember going out of the house and I'll be like, oh, I'm going to be sitting around somewhere for a while. I better bring my Game Boy with me, or I better bring my Neo Geo Pocket with me, or whatever it was that I was bringing with me. I got to slip that in my, my cargo pants pocket and head out the door. You know, and oh, I'm going to be sitting around at the, you know, someplace, you know, not doing anything, doctor's office. You just pull that game out, play it for a little while, and time goes by, and I can then, you know, it'll be time for my appointment or whatever it may be that I'm waiting for. And uh, that's just, that's what it was good for. But now, if I'm just going to doc shop, I'm like, eh, I don't need to bring a game with me. I don't. I don't just. I'll just. I'll just look on the web, or I'll watch a video, or I will, you know, send an email, or check up on a form, online forum, or um, report record a podcast. I don't know, <laughs> whatever it may be that you want to do. So that is what's killing um, handheld game systems. Um, just the, the less of the. Um, you know, like persons like thinking of stuff. Oh, I don't really need that. You know, it's magazines. Magazines are almost gone. Nintendo Power is gone. You know, uh, EGM is essentially gone. Um, lots of lots, not just game magazines, but magazines in general are gone. And books, um, you know, books are still around because they're like a novel, and people still like to read novels. But they're, you know, so it's it's a changing world. Like we're. Um, I think if Nintendo was smart, they would realize that whatever handheld game system they make, or home console they make, the, the time of a home console or a handheld is really coming short. It's like, um, pretty soon, you won't need a game console because it's just like whatever you're carrying with you will just be so adaptive that it really won't matter. I mean, right now you got the touchscreen, but it sucks because you can't. You have no tactile uh, input, but they've got new touchscreens that are being made that have uh, the surface raises on them. So 
literally you go to play some game and uh, a D-pad just forms on the screen surface, you know, where that's raised, and you can press on it and it'll actually feel like you're playing a gamepad. Um, so once that happens, what do you need? A, what do you need any kind of Nintendo device? You don't. You really don't. You don't need a Nintendo. You would, are you going to buy a Nintendo phone? I don't think so. You know, maybe they, you know, if Nintendo wanted to make an, make their own version of like an iPhone, they should have done it a couple years ago. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, you know, pretty much the end of the line for um, handheld systems. I don't see very many more of those coming out. I mean, granted, you'll probably see them for little kids because um, I'm not going to give my kids a cell phone. So, like, they have, uh, they actually have those Leapster ones that are educational ones. And, you know, granted, it's still a game. But, you know, they do have, they are educational. They have a good educational component to them. Um, so, and I don't give them those, I don't give many of those Disney games for it. They're all just like uh, the Scholastic ones or, um, you know, just something that's not some kind of uh, brainwashing, you know, watch our cartoons, buy our merchandise, <laughs> licensed merchandise um, kind of things watch the movies, whatever it may be, um, you know, so I don't get any of those kind of things, I mean, I mean, there is a, there is a, that Kai, Kai Lin one that we have for them, but they don't realize that there's some, there's a Kai Lin, uh, TV show, because we don't have cable, so, other than very basic, basic, basic cable, that's just channels 2 through 20, there's no Nickelodeon or anything like that, and the kids don't watch TV, um, I mean, they, they do watch stuff on, on the TV, but it's all, um, you know, ripped video or, um, you know, Netflix things that we deem are okay for the kids to watch, mostly educational things. Um, and I found, I feel like such a, a buzzkill by doing that, but there's really, there's nothing of merit. Uh, it's all very detrimental, That I, I believe. Anything, like, you, 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 you let your kids watch Nickelodeon, um, I, I think that you're in for, you're in for, you're, doing yourself in. You're going to have a hard time with your kids later on. Because um, I remember just after my daughter was born, oh, this is like, you know, 2004, um, I was, it was around spring break time. She was born in February. And I was, I, I was holding her and I put the TV on Nickelodeon. And, you know, she's just a baby. It wasn't like I was, uh, um, you know, thinking she's going to actually watch it. But I thought maybe you know, some cartoon character might keep her entertained and relax her a little bit or something. And uh, I put it on Nickelodeon and then, and it was spring break time and they came on and it's like, it's Nickelodeon spring break. And I'm like, okay. And they're at like spring break. And I'm like, well, that's a college student thing. You know, and most, you know, spring break college students, because it's not school spring break, it's actually college spring break. And, uh, and they, they're showing, you know, they're at like Daytona Beach, and the they have like kids on the show, and they're like, "Hey, if you like this, you might want to go to MTV Spring Break, you know, because it's Viacom, it's the same company." So they're trying to get the little kids, you know, the, the well, not get little kids, but you know, the parents are like, "Okay, kids, watch MTV, watch a Nickelodeon. That's okay for my kids to watch. It's all cartoons. You know, cartoons are fine for kids to watch. That's what they think. You know, oh, it's a cartoon. It can't be bad." And so they watch Nickelodeon, and the Nickelodeon says, watch MTV. Now, the parents might not let them watch MTV, but now they know about MTV, and MTV is cool, and, you know, the bigger kids watch MTV, so they get older, or even at that age, they still watch MTV. And, you know, I, 
watched, I turned, you know, when that happened, I, of course, turned the TV to MTV to see what was on just the moment they said that. And it was like MTV spring break, and it was all kind of debauchery, you know, you know, stuff that is uh, un- unfit for little children to watch. And here they're telling kids to watch it. I just, I was, that was at that point where I was like, you know what? My kids don't need to be watching television like this at all. So I took, you know, we got rid of cable when we got our, um, um, when we moved into our house. Um, we were in there, we had some cable for a while, um, and then we got rid of it. And so, you know, we just have some basic cable just so I can watch the, the weather or the news if I need to watch that, which we never watch. We never watch anything on, TV, on, on actual cable TV. Um, so, you know, that's, I think it's for the best. My kids are very well behaved. And, uh, you know, they're, they don't, you know, beat the hell out of each other or talk back. And, you know, that's, you know, I'm sure that's always going to happen. It's not like, you know, like I think like, oh, I don't let my kids watch TV. They're going to be perfect little angels. No, I don't think that. But I think that television is just a bad influence for kids to be watching nowadays. And it wasn't a great influence when I was a kid either. But um, it's just, you know, it, it back then it still taught bad behavior. But it was maybe some talking back or why, being a wise ass. Um, now it's, you know... It's having sex at a young age and being promiscuous and being rude, lots of things like that. And I just, it's not appropriate for a little kid. A kid should have a childhood. They should be kids, you know, should just not even have those thoughts in their head. You know, they should just be totally like, you know, just thinking about, oh, I'm going to play with a toy or I'm going to draw a cat, you know, things like that, you know, or, you know, just until they get older because, you know, they shouldn't have to deal with those things. They should just have a nice, solid foundation. I mean, that's what I was like when I was a kid. I didn't, I wasn't thinking about those things. I mean, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid watching Dolly Parton's TV show and I thought that she was beautiful, but it wasn't, that was about it. You know, it wasn't, um, you know, thinking that, you know, just, you know, sex things or things like that at a young age. Um, so I, I think I'm doing the right, I, I know I'm doing the right things for my kids for keep watching that. Now, I do, I will let them watch some stuff from the 80s, like in the 70s, um, TV shows and stuff like that. You know, they don't have any commercials on them. And, uh, you know, even then I, I'm careful about what I let them watch. But, um, you know, for the most part, it's not bad. I mean, like, you know, sometimes I'll put on the, tra- let my boys watch trans- the 80s Transformers. And there's no, there's no uh, commercials on that. And while the show itself was a commercial for the toys, certainly those toys aren't made anymore. They got new Transformers toys. My kids don't care. They don't even care about Transformers. All my kids like, my boys, are monster trucks. Monster trucks and monster trucks and monster trucks. Yeah, I mean, they just love Gravedigger. They love Maximum Destruction. And that's fine, because it's fun. I take them to see them every once in a while. So, you know, that's what I do. And, and you know, my kids, they don't really care about playing video, playing my video games in the basement. I got my arcade games. You know, um, they do like it when I, you know, they do like Mario and Donkey Kong and, um, you know, on the Wii I was playing New Super Mario Brothers and they actually enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, you should have seen him react when I was fighting Bowser at the end when he's gigantic. They're all going crazy. Um, you know, a little bit scared, a little bit, you know, like my daughter was scared. The boys thought it was was great. Uh, she's like, oh, he's so big. You know, this is the, this is the girl who's uh, going to be nine soon. 
<laughs> but uh yeah so I just want I just want them to have a happy childhood you know as much as they can and uh, you know when they get older and they have to deal with you know the the vileness of this world at least they'll be older and, and you know they will have had a nice happy childhood and had to deal with the crap that's out there right now um, you know it's just like to me you know parents let their kids on the internet or they give them a cell phone with unlimited unlimited internet access and they don't realize the stuff that's out there they could see you know pornography and there's nothing to stop them you know and it all I mean even they could accidentally stumble upon it. they could be a good kid they're like oh I'm not I don't want to watch I'm not looking to watch that or they're not even thinking about doing it but it's so easy to just stumble upon it it's just a you know there's so many bad things on the internet and there's so many good things too I mean um, you know there's stuff that I've learned that I never would have learned if it weren't for the internet just because the, the information is out there that said, there are some really nasty things I've seen on the internet too. You know, not looking even to see it. I've had people forward me stuff. You know, you do a search on Google and you're like, oh, I'm going to do an image search. And you see something, you're like, oh, I wish I didn't see that. <laughs> All right. TurboGrafx 16. Now, that's a system that I did not have back in the day, but I had borrowed it from a friend. Um, and, uh, and I thought that thing was great. It had some, he had some really great games for it. Um, I mean, graphics-wise, it actually wasn't even as good as my Sega Genesis, but it was expensive as all heck, and it was a little bit earlier that it came out. And uh, man, I remember it was really cool because the games came on cards, look like credit cards. The games came on, that. and I was just like, "Wow, check that out!" I mean, they were on my Genesis too. But there wasn't very, I mean, not on my Genesis, but the Master System, I could play them with the power-based converter. But those games were nothing like the TurboGrafx games at the time. You know, every card game for the Gen for the Master System was like a, kind of a crappy game for the most part, except for like Enduro Racer. Like, I have like Enduro Racer and F-16. I think that Spy vs. Spy came on the card for the Master System. But back to the TurboGrafx. Um, you know, it was called a 16-bit system, but it really wasn't 16-bit. It was actually still an 8-bit system. Had a very similar processor to the NES, but it had some more graphic stuff going on with it. Um, I'm not going to get into huge detail about that, but it allowed it to display more colors and have a higher um, resolution. But it still was not a full-fledged 16-bit system like the Genesis was. And in fact, the Sega Genesis was a 16-bit processor with 32-bit addressing on some points of it. So um, one could say that the 30, that the, six, the um, Sega Genesis was 32 bits, if you really wanted to. Um, it wasn't, though. I mean, it was, because it had 32-bit addressing, but the actual instruction codes were 16-bit. Um, so, the, you know, that's what you really want to measure it on. But it allowed it to access large cartridges because of its 32-bit addressing. So you could have very large games on a Sega Genesis, um, which was probably one of the things that saved it from being completely demolished by the Super Nintendo because it could do games, um, lar you know, games on par with the Super Nintendo. You know, obviously, you know, graphically wise, it didn't have as many you know large pixel, you know, as large characters or as the same color depth. So the sound wasn't quite as good um, in it because the the chip, the sound chip in there, and the Genesis was a Yamaha. I don't remember it was in the Super Nintendo, but again, 
back to the Turbo Graphics. Turbo Graphics was, you know, much more basic compared to that, um, but it had some really great, great games. Um, some games that you didn't see in other consoles, like Galaga '88, but it was called Galaga '90 in the United States. Um, you had Bonks um, Adventure, Bonks Revenge. Now some of those came out to the NES later on and other systems, but back then it was it was only on that system. You had Bomberman, and those were on other systems, but the Bombermans on the Turbo were pretty darn good. Um, you had uh, Shock Band, that was a really cool game. Um, like Kind of like Mega Man. Um, let's see, Air Zong. I'm just trying to think of some of the games I really like on it. Um, there's a Ninja something, I have that one, I can't think of what it is. Uh, China, China Warrior? Man, I just, I'm, I'm at a loss for saying all the, the good Turbo Graphics games, but uh, there's really great ones. <sighs> and then on the, if you had the CD for it, you could play even better games on it too, because like Ghouls and Ghosts on the Turbo Graphics, with the, I think it was with the CD or the Super Graphics. It was actually, I think it was a Super Graphics, an updated version of the Turbo. Um, that actually looked almost identical to the arcade version. Whereas on the Genesis version, while it looked identical to the arcade version, it was lacking on the color depth. Still, awesome game. Ghouls and Ghosts. The best of the three initial Ghouls, Ghosts, Ghouls games. Um, you know, Ghosts and Goblins was a good game. Ghouls and Ghosts is a great, great game. Um, they added in the ability to shoot up and down. Um, and that, by in my opinion, far exceeds the double jump in the Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, I don't know why they took away the firing up and down in that game. Uh, it just makes it ugh, not as good. Um, and the bosses, the bosses in Ghouls and Ghosts are, they're, they still have that kind of cool Japanese creepy kind of monster, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, um, oh, I can't think of the, the what's it called? Um, uh, shoot. <laughs> There's two different things for kind of like a monster ghost kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's really, it's very cool. It's um, a very good game. The Super Nintendo one had some pretty cool graphical things in it. And the music was very symphonic. But I, I almost felt like it was too symphonic sounding. It was sound. It sounded like it was very. Uh, one thing I didn't like about some of the Super Nintendo games was the, just the way it, the the um, the Yamaha chip had this very um, soft symphony sound. It was kind of. It didn't have that kind of guttural kind of sound or whatever it was that the Genesis had. It Genesis had a really cool, you know, electric guitar sound to it. It had. Um, it still had synth sounds in it, like organs and keyboard sounds and piano sounds, but they had a different tone to them. That that chip and the, the Yamaha chip that was in the and the in the Genesis had some pretty cool sounds to it. The Super Nintendo's chip and it might have been a Yamaha too. I'm not sure what the one was in that, but it just had like and it found like almost every game used the violin sound. And damn it, if I want to listen to symphony. <coughs> classical music um i would want to listen to classical music i didn't like back then when i was a teenager i did not care for classical music i didn't think it was 
bad, but it was like, man, you know, like, classical music, uh, Mozart, you know, it's like, come on, you know, I want to play something with electric guitars in it, you know, and uh, so, you know, playing Super Ghouls and Ghosts, um, it just, like, all oh, these violins, you know, like, you know, it was, it just sounded so soft and delicate sounding, and it I mean, it had some creepy sounds in it and stuff, but man, the ghouls and ghosts on the Genesis, I I, think, I find that the soundtrack much better, much 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 better. Um, the sound on the Turbo Graphics was okay. Um, it was much more of a, you know, I don't think there was any kind of MIDI sound in the in the the, the Turbo Graphics at all. I think it was all just like the NES. It was a square wave, triangle wave. Um, you know, PC, kind of like, you know, PCM sound. PCM? Yeah, you had, there were samples. So you could have some samples, but it wasn't like, like when you're playing MIDI music where everything is a sample. And uh, so you have like, oh, I've got to have a keyboard sound and I've got a violin and a, and a guitar sound. And these are the sounds I'm going to have and I can make, you know, you know, all write it all out like that. Um, it was much more programmatic kind of the sounds. It was more like an old arcade machine. Um, so, but it still sounded great. That I mean, it was, but it was a different sound. It was still this the Turbo Graphics. Unless you're playing the CD games, kind of felt like you're playing an 8-bit game. You know, like um, playing an 8-bit game on the uh, arcade. You know, like a but a nice sounding one versus like you know the, the Genesis and the Super Nintendo definitely had a had a more uh, modern at the time sound to them. And if I were to if I were to rate the sound of the two, I would say, you know, depending what you're playing, that I would put the Genesis ahead, um, you know, like in Ghouls and Ghosts. But if you game, got a game like Mortal Kombat, you know, it's which is was a 16-bit arcade game with a lot of voice samples, um, Super Nintendo had as it hands down. Now, the Mortal Kombat on the Super Nintendo was a horrible game because it just was missing everything. And so that was not very fun but Mortal Kombat 2 was a much better um, copy so if you compare Mortal Kombat 2 on the Super Nintendo and the Genesis the the uh, Super Nintendo version wins that battle um, pretty easily all right I'm home and I'm uh, picking up my mail um, so I'm gonna end the podcast now and uh, we'll talk to you guys later thanks for listening